0: UX Podcast Episode 132 Hello and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm James Roy Lawson.
1: And I'm Danway Tran-Luciani.
0: And I'm Pat Axbom. And we're balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday
1: from Stockholm, Sweden. And as you can tell from that intro, Danway is with us today. Nice having you here. Thank you. Nice being here. And it means we are having a listener phone-in. A listener phone-in, for those of you who are new listeners, means that we are actually doing a live show where people are able to call in. They can see us on video, they can participate in chats, and they can also participate by voice, which is probably what we prefer, uh, us being a podcast and all. It makes a little bit better show
0: if we have people speaking.
1: The fun thing is we have no idea who we will be talking to. We have no idea what subjects we will be covering.
0: Or what we're going to say as answers.
1: Exactly. (laughs) We have no idea what's going to happen right now.
0: Should we just spin the wheel and see what (laughs) happens?
1: Yeah, let's go
2: day, Simon. You're calling from Sydney, right? Yes, from Sydney. I want to get my question in before it gets too late.
0: Yeah, good, day, good <laughs> evening to you. And, um, thank you for calling in on your Friday you. evening.
2: Yeah, what else would I be doing on a Friday evening? Right, go ahead. Okay, I'll, I'll, so I've got, a, I've got a quick question for you. I'm giving a presentation in a couple of months' time. It's going to be covering Gorilla UX, and, and we talked briefly on Twitter about this. But, yeah, like basically the premise for my presentation, you know, we don't often have a lot of time, budget, or access to users. Um, And especially in the enterprise space, uh, UX design is usually the first thing to get cut, which is unfortunate. I want to try to give people an idea of, well, what can you do with a limited time, limited budget? um, You know, what would be the most important thing or things um, that, that someone could do to at least do some design? And I guess traditionally in the enterprise space, someone will develop a functional specification or something like that. They'll they'll believe they know what the users need. And there may even be a mindset of, well, they'll use whatever we give them because they got to use it to do their jobs. And then we'll go away, build it. And then we'll have this thing at the end of the whole process called user acceptance testing, Mm -hmm. which um, is usually way too late. If anything really serious comes up and, you know, it's usually too late to do anything about it. Yeah. So just trying to turn that on its head. I try to get people to do prototypes um, as early as um, possible and go out, meet the users, do some testing on the prototypes. But yeah, so look, I was just looking for you guys and the experience you've had. Has there been times when you've done kind of guerrilla UX? Maybe you faced situations where people say, oh, we don't need to do that.
1: Yeah, and that's and I mean it's the most common question we get or when I get that's when I when I'm out talking is that how do I get buy-in to do what I want to do, and then I just answer well just do it uh, because uh, you will never get the buy-in if you if you start if your <laughs> ambition is to start planning how to get buy-in and you buy-in you get by by results uh, and you show results after you've actually done it um, so I, what I've done is um, I've used a lot of these online testing tools. Uh, like five second click tests so do extremely simple prototypes sometimes sketches on paper sometimes just wireframes but even high fidelity ones and just put them out there and with these online tests I mean you can get so many it actually almost becomes statistically significant which a lot of people are asking for as well Uh, you can send out like um, prototypes online where you track where people click you ask them a question where would you click to get this I'd click there uh, or you actually sh- they show it on a heat map where they click uh, and you can ask what people remember from your website based on just sketches. And that's one, one quick way I do it. And uh, other things are, I mean, even <laughs> micro-interviews, So often you actually, depending on what type of type of client you have, but in the enterprise, some, if you work with intranets or you're at meetings where you have contact with clients, I actually take like five minutes after a meeting and just take someone aside and, and start talking to them so just find those micro interactions that can actually help you get more information get more data about what's working what's not working and then use that and present it as we've done this research even though because it is research even though it's small I mean, guerrilla research. Oh yeah, research yeah guerrilla research
0: i mean uh, the the stand- well part of the standard answer i give to this question is to refer back to um, to to our to the workshop we attended in um, 2011 with Ruf Sanger. um and he was doing a workshop around that time about guerrilla research methods, and um, and it's, it's one of the most eye-opening and, and fun um, workshops I've taken part on. Um, it was it was it was at UXLX um, in Portugal, and, and Russ has us going out and doing user research there and then outside the um, the venue. But he um, he did some, he gives some really good um, kind of take homes from that. Some really good. Uh, Nuggets of, of, of um, inspiration to kind of get you to do things. Um, one of them was um, about how you should, you should get out there and do stuff, like you say, a pair, but um, only do, so it's a bit of a lean UX or lean research kind of thing, so only do as much research until the point of least astonishment. So, mm-hmm. so when you stop being surprised mm-hmm. about what you're finding out, then that's enough. You can then go and build a hypothesis, build something based on that, that user research. Um, and uh, on the back of that as well, you, you the most important thing you could probably do as far as research is getting out there and observing. So um, any other forms of research is, is interesting, is good. But if you can actually watch someone using your product, it's it's worth a huge amount Mm. Um, that's not always easy Um, if you're in I know you work a fair bit with um, enterprise um, systems um, and sometimes people say that it's really easy to get kind of you know get to observe enterprise customers um, because you know who they are and it's very kind of big deals and the rest of it but my experience is sometimes it can be a nightmare getting getting to view um, well enterprise customers because you've got um, you've got sales guys or customer responsible people who own a client, uh, own a customer, and they would get really suspicious about why do you want to, why do you want to come and visit my my client, mm. and then and then the client themselves say, why why do you want to come and watch us? You know, mm. you know, we just buy the product from you. I mean, you don't want to watch us using it. But um, but if you can kind of network your way through that jungle, then sitting down by the side of mm. someone where they're using your your. Your product or a prototype of your product—you have got one with you because you can. Yep. If you're there already, sat next to them, and you can show it. And Russ himself was talking more about the the kind of coffee shop guerrilla um, research where you you would just you know turn up at Starbucks mm-hmm. and um, and without a prototype <laughs> yeah. and, and get some feedback. Don't we even tried doing that, I and mean, that's it, what we it, did.
2: It works. Yeah, that's good. With the enterprise stuff, it's a bit harder to show up at
0: Starbucks. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know. So that's where the networking
2: comes. This accounts receivable process. Mm. How do you, you know, you, think they you know really what I just it?
1: thought of that I that I actually do a lot of now nowadays is I record a short video of me explaining uh, like the sketches or the wire- wireframes and going through them and explaining them, like six-minute videos, because there's often this <laughs> time frame where you have to get the feedback because the developers have to start with the next sprint. Uh, and you just didn't have time to book all these meetings with all these people. So I sent out that video, uh, and either I just attach a small survey to it or I call them up after they presumably, presumably, hopefully looked at the video and get feedback from that. And that's a great way of just sharing just one piece of information with a lot of people and
0: getting feedback on it. Right. I'm going to come up with another suggestion now as well. Oh, you see, now you've got me thinking. <laughs> um, uh, another idea is, is through recording a video. Are we doing an episode now, or is this just one um. call? <laughs> <laughs> I will cut this bit out if it's not even good. <laughs> you no, know, just the whole thing about you going through something, you're explaining it, aren't you? Yeah. So, so that then is a user experience. It's user testing in itself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so
0: if you yes, it is. So if you mm. if you explain it, mm. and you realise that a certain aspect of it is difficult to explain. Mm. Or even that the response you get yeah. requires yes. further explanation. <laughs> that is actually so good. Now you've mm. got mm. you've got input now mm. into mm. maybe um scenario mm. planning. Mm. You can actually create something, okay, mm. that was a bit of a that we hung mm. up on that bit. Yeah. Um maybe we should go out and, mm. and take just that aspect mm. to Starbucks or mm-hmm. you know, another round of prototyping or sketching mm. or, you know, some kind of breakout in that sense.
1: This part is hard to explain. Yeah. Self discovery. Yeah. Just, you know, what it got
0: me thinking of? <laughs> Is this a whole episode <laughs> now or just a like phone call from a listener? <laughs> <laughs> um, w-
1: when I tested all these read speaker uh, stuff that the, they read aloud your text from your blog posts, what p- what started happening was that people realized, oh, my God, I can't write it like this because when they heard it aloud, then it mm. became mm. a different point, mm. point that they were making. So they actually just edited their post based on the it being spoken by the computer. Mm. right? And that got me thinking. So if you... Re- Basically, reading your own interfaces to yourself and not understanding them—that's a user test.
0: So the take on <laughs> so that little thing we created there was yeah. that you should you should write down your prototypes yes. in
1: words. Nicole Fenton last year at UXLX. Yes.
0: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> as a form of as a form yeah. of self-validation or testing. Now
1: I get what she means.
0: There we go. It takes time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I've talked to a few people about this and had some really interesting answers. I guess one person had piggybacked on a performance test. They already had people testing the system for performance. Um, but during the performance test, they had a lot of downtime as they switched between scenarios. So she actually, in that downtime, started asking them questions about how to use mm-hmm. the yeah. system. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she didn't have to arrange any testing mm-hmm. Really, she just had to be filling in the gaps. And another person I talked to said they had developed a uh, set of personas. And what they did actually was put all the personas on the back of the toilet doors. So <laughs> when people were in the bathrooms, they, could, they were sitting there look, looking at these personas, learning about <laughs> people that they were developing for...
0: It's like the whole thing about, like, you know, get moments of inspiration in the shower and maybe in the toilet and something. So that, that that's actually quite a yeah. good idea. Yeah, You should do waterproof ones so you can have them in your shower. Yeah.
3: All
2: right. No, that's great, guys. Thanks for that.
0: Yeah. Thank and, you. Um, Thank and, you. Let, and let us know how the um, presentation goes. it be interesting to some...
2: Yeah, we will some Absolutely.
1: You know, Thank you for staying that. up so late. Okay.
0: Thanks, Simon. <laughs> so
3: my last question was just kind of a silly one because there didn't seem to be many call-ins or engagement. I was curious uh, just for fun, what is like kind of a ridiculous like product or service that you wish existed that didn't. For example, something completely ridiculous right now. Uh, my friend has a hardware company. I'm hijacking one of his sensors and I'm gonna put it inside my tea because I'm not competent enough to actually like drink my tea before it gets cold every single day. So I'm just gonna set up something that notifies me once it gets below a certain temperature. Um, which I'll probably still pause it and forget to drink it. But I was just curious if you guys had any of those kind of first world kind of silly problems of silly services or products that you might wish existed.
0: I think it, pretty much every single Internet of Things invention so far <laughs> is one of the, yeah, we we'll on that list, the connected fridge.
1: Uh, I guess. Mm. There was an excellent one last year at UX Lex. I don't know who, who talked about it, but shoes. Uh, like Dorothy shoes, like Ca- oh, Kansas Dorothy yes. uh, from The Wizard of Oz. So when you're out on a date, uh, mm. you can click your heels together on these shoes. And it will call you so you can g- get get
0: out of the date yeah yeah that's right it was it was kind of like um, escape route shoot, yeah. so these were Dorothy red mm. slippers that were were programmed to to call that like, your best mm. friend or whatever, so that if you were having a really bad date, then you just clicked your heels together <laughs> and it would it would r- signal to your friend that they need to ring mm. you up to interrupt your date so you can say mm. oh i'm no, sorry i've, I've you've got to go um, just make
1: sure you don't have such a good ga- date that you're getting excited and just clicking <laughs> your heels together and just get out of it. <laughs> Oh man, that, that's that's a tough question. Oh. Yes, yeah, a very tough. <laughs> question. I,
0: I, I keep thinking of. Pr- I keep thinking of products that I've i found, and and wondering, just why would you do that? Rather than kind of imagining new ones, I keep thinking, mm. like, like my my story. <laughs> I've, uh, my story I've said before about I, I bought a kettle. I think it was when we were talking to Don Norman, I was sharing this story. Mm. I, I bought a kettle that couldn't boil water, mm. and that just kind of blew my mind. That you know, I bought a thing that does something so fundamental as. You know, boiling water—it's—it's it's a kettle. It's meant to boil water, and it didn't go any higher than ninety degrees. Mm. Um, it's a coffee maker's kettle, really, mm. I suppose. But um, but it ra- raises an interesting point about how we get—you know—the connect the connected fridge. When you 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 are saying, oh well, your fridge will automatically know when you're running low on a certain product or or so on, or even mm. the I- ideas that um, a fridge will 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 lock itself down at eleven o'clock to stop you overeating, mm-hmm. um, but. You, you've got focused on such a, a narrow, um, isolated goal or feature that you you ignore the real life reality of the situation. I think Amber Case brought up mm-hmm. the, the example of that with the fridge that locks itself down to stop you eating, um, and then you, your diabetic friend comes round and really needs some food to kind mm-hmm. of counter the the mm-hmm. you know, sugar balance, and and that you have to get a crowbar to the fridge to burst it open because it's it's in lockdown now to stop mm-hmm. you eating. So so we 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 have a lot of this with new products that were so tunnel vision focused on a feature that mm. you forget the real, real yeah, life reality you, of you it. you
1: think about solving the problems in everyday life that are yours but don't yeah. pertain to everybody in the community around you. I'm thinking of stuff <laughs> f- from just regular... Oh my, I re- forget to bring stuff in the morning. Sometimes I walk out the door and I have to return three times because I forget stuff. There should be... Like my doormat should be telling me what to bring and know what I haven't bring brought out of the door. Stuff like that. When I uh, when the kids have to come to dinner, I'd like just to be able to push a button because I know that they're in front of a screen. They're always <laughs> in front of a screen. Just push a button, yeah. it's dinner time. Come along. And just block them from starting L- League of Legends because okay. they have. If, if they're playing League of Legends, uh, they can't come to dinner because they have to st- keep playing or they they'll get locked out of the game. Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Same problem with my, with my son as well. That he'll he'll say wait wait when I say it's dinner time. Yeah. <laughs> and but now I've I've actually learned I need to I need to ask him. Okay, look, it's dinner time soon. How many minutes have you got left on this yeah. round? It's, it's fun. It's a fun question, and I do, I, it does make you reflect and think about the absurd world that I think that we mm. could live in and do live in.
3: Yeah, I, I often attribute it to the new rise of you know being of entrepreneurship. Um, of course, that's always like been the founding, at least in America. But the new rise of entrepreneurship and the you know democratization of tech, and like everybody feeling that if they're not being an entrepreneur and they're not contributing in that way, then somehow they're scaling and so i think that that leads people to just find anything that they possibly can yeah to try and build and try and mm. fix yeah. uh, mostly just to sell themselves yeah. um and, and uh, yeah i'm usually based in the Silicon valley i'm in london right now but so i might be in a bubble where that's mm. pretty much all i see everybody building anything and everything because mm. if you're not you're everyone's just kind of wondering like who you are and what's wrong with you
0: it's a, it's a good point and it makes me reflect on um, kind of like high school projects or, or, or sixth form projects in England or, or here in Sweden kind of gymnasium mm. or project where where you get kind of a gang of 17, 18 year olds and you've got told to start a business mm. and you kind of come up with these crazy ideas and, and the focus is like it's about learning how to run a business mm. but it becomes exactly like you say this kind of know, we're, we're setting the seeds for you've got to come up with an idea and you've got to make it work and you've got to sell it yeah. no matter how stupid it is. And <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's not needed anymore. You've, mm. you've just got to sell it. Mm. And that, that forces us into not thinking enough about whether we're making a positive difference with what we're exactly. creating. Yeah.
1: I haven't thought about that as much because it, I'm, I, I like the fact that people are experimenting, that they're trying out new things because that's the way we'll find new things. But you're absolutely right. I think there is an inflation in, in people just thinking they have to do it mm-hmm. because that's h- how they are perceived as valuable in society, which, of course, is totally wrong and something we probably should
0: be countering as well. I think def- definitely listen to Take mm-hmm. the time to listen mm-hmm. to the Alan Cooper interview that we're pu- pushing out next week. And next Friday, yes. Because I think he'll, he'll say things that resonate with mm-hmm. what you're thinking and, and mm-hmm. saying now.
3: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, it, it should be refreshing. As I said, I've been in... Silicon Valley for maybe ten years now, and I ran away to London. At <laughs> um, <nearly> least <laughs> get away for a little bit. I'm gonna get the boot in August likely because of the visa situation. But it's oh, been yeah. very refreshing to get out of that environment because the conversations that you have with people, even those in tech, um, seem, they're they're very different. Mm. So I, I'm really looking forward to Alan Cooper's talk.
1: Thank you for calling Great. in, Lacey. Thanks,
0: Lacey. It was nice. You're
3: welcome. Thank
0: you. Yay! Hey. Hello there, um, Adam. Hey, Adam. How's it going? Very well, thank you. We're hot. Can you hear me? It's, it's very... It's, We're hot it's, in all <laughs> definitions of the term. <laughs> it's very warm in this um, studio just now. Uh.
4: Um, actually, no, I just wanted to pick up on your point about um, finding work and stuff, because actually, I'm, I'm in that kind of that phase right now of, of, between contracts. And, you know, I, I get work from, uh, from London or from, you know, from anywhere that I can really, um, in Europe, you know, how, how do you go about kind of finding contracts, finding clients? Do you, do you look for tenders or do you, do you just kind of go directly through recruiters? I, I mean, how, how does that work for, for you and, and what would be your advice on trying to find new work?
0: It's a very good question. And, um, as usual, there are there are several answers to it. Um, the the first thing there though I think is is where you are in your career, or or rather, yeah, I think career is probably the best way, way to put that. Because when you when you're first starting out as a freelancer, the answer to the question is slightly different, maybe to how it would be um, after ten years. Because mm-hmm. um, I've been a freelancer ten years this um, this August, um, and also. There's the personal choice side of it. How do you want to work as a freelancer? So, so this, is, this is the kind of first you know, fork in the road. Um, do you want to be a contractor or do you want to be a consultant? Do you want to try and mix them? Um, maybe I'm kind of playing with definitions a little bit here, but, but when you're doing contracting work, this is where you maybe would, you would, you would, you would disappear completely into a project for, you know, for a period of time, 100% um and then the consulting side is where you would you would have a series a set of clients where you would do some work at various levels of of um, time levels amount of time you need investment into the um people um and you you would need several um but that involves often some more sales and the the contracting work maybe would involve going through rec- um, some kind of um, cons- uh, consultant uh, or some kind of agency that would then put you in touch with the people mm. that um, you're going to work for. So that's a bit of a, t- a kind of a choice. You know, what do you want to do? How do you want to develop as a freelancer? Um, well. Then, then we're down to the thing about you know, all of us. I think all of us are freelancers hate sales. Um, yeah. We don't. <laughs> I'm not a freelancer because I like selling stuff. I'm I'm a freelancer because I like doing stuff. I like I like the feeling and the buzz when I, I help clients make a difference. And and also I, you know, I have to earn some money as well. That's kind of one of the necessary side effects. Uh,
1: and, and the seven weeks of vacation, the seven <laughs> no. weeks of
0: vacation, um, <laughs> or three months <laughs> of the entire year. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> certain pluses of doing this, but um, <laughs> but I think y- what you did, Per. I mean, you can tell your story a bit, but you 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 started in a different way to me. I started as a a, a, a bit closer to Adam in that I I moved country to a country I didn't really have the network, didn't really have mm. the the contacts, and 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 spent three or four years working employed before starting to, to realize that the way I was bouncing between jobs um, short-term was effectively the same as being a consultant. So I might as well just be a consultant and, and claim ownership over that, mm. that, that world. Mm. Was you went a different way.
1: I went a different way. And, and my story, of course, is hard to repeat if you already are a freelancer because I waited <laughs> a long time to become a freelancer after I already, already had been blogging about UX for 10 years after I already had built, like, a brand name around myself, uh, which also meant I don't have to spend as much time in sales because people actually find me because I've spent a lot of time being out there and giving talks. Uh, and uh, that's my way of selling, is is just allowing people to find me that way, sharing a lot of free stuff. Uh, and that's how I build my brand. Um, what I'm thinking is... Uh, what has helped me the most, I think, is not trying to reach out to potential clients, but to reach out to my peers and my peers being people in the same general industry, but also um, uh, developers and, and graphic designers who learn that I am someone who they appreciate. Because when, when clients are looking for, for people, they don't just go out and look pe- for people. They go out and ask whoever they already know. And you want to come by recommendation. And coming by recommendation is the most common way for me
0: to get work, actually. Uh, same for me. Yeah, I, I, I don't sell as anymore. So
1: just, just making a lot of friends <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> is, is, is a good thing. And I like making friends. I don't like sales.
0: <laughs> making, making friends <laughs> and, and not letting people down. Yeah. Because if mm. you actually if you, if you deliver mm. stuff, if you actually mm. make a difference, people remember mm. that and then people come back to you. Um, and
4: interesting, and that's hmm. how it
0: develops over time. Um, so that's why I said in the beginning about you know the short term thing for you. I mean, going to UXLX in Lisbon was a very smart thing because then you, um, you get in touch with people in the branch. The downside of UXLX is that it's so international, so you didn't probably get into touch with so many Portuguese people. <laughs> um, but yeah. there's still some yeah. there, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's still an opportunity to network with them.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, I did. I did meet some really interesting people. You guys, for instance, um, but uh, but also like there were there were some other Portuguese people there, which was which was quite interesting for me um, to kind of ask them about the 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 state of the um, of the industry there uh, in here in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, but also got the opportunity to talk to Nathan, um, and I spoke to him about uh, about kind of breaking into the US uh, market, mm-hmm. um, and he told me that the reason why that you probably can't get many contracts from the U.S. because, because a lot of them are remote. Um, he said that basically it's, it's just easier to employ U.S. Uh, citizens in the U.S. as a U.S. company. Mm. Um, so I felt and found that quite interesting mm. to to find out because obviously I was sending my CV off to, to loads of places and saying, hey, you know, look, I, I can do work and here's my portfolio, have a look. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were all coming back saying, if you're not in the U.S., then sorry. Yeah. Um, it's not going to work.
0: Nathan Curtis. So,
4: yeah. Nathan Curtis, yeah. thank you. <laughs> and
0: to, to flip that round, um, it's a two-way thing there. Um, my, as, a, so as, as a freelancer, my, my company's insurance, um, it specifically mm-hmm. excludes me working with US companies. Because the, the, way that they, the way that the, the America is so um, um, lawsuit-heavy or legal-heavy, I mean, you're, you're really open to, to, to being sued um, in, in America. So, so European or least Swedish insurance companies, um, they don't include it in their normal business insurance. Um, you have to have special business insurance. And, um, and then you need a certain type of company to get that type of insurance that covers you to work with America because of the higher risk for, um, for doing consultancy work with America. Interesting. Yeah. So Europe is your thing. Awesome. Because then you've got a lot of more opportunities within yeah. Europe. Yeah.
4: Interesting. Mm. Perfect. That's really good advice. Perfect. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Take bye care. Bye bye. Cheers,
0: guys. Bye. bye. So we just finished 125 minutes of live UX podcast, um, which is just absolutely whizzed by. Mm. I don't believe how quickly that went.
1: And so much fun, and mm. there were people busy all the time asking us questions. Yeah, yeah. Even in the chat room.
0: So I think it'd be good to have re- three really quick um, reflections um, after a couple of hours of talking to to UXs and an exciting our brains. Um, for me, I I I'm going to think a bit more about um, um, the, the self assessment idea through describing prototypes and designs. That was, was that came up during the chat with Simon Kemp. Right. Yeah.
1: and for me it's more about not just make for the sake of making but make stuff with a purpose in mind and for me it's just realizing how absolutely insane it is that there are people out there taking to heart what we're saying <laughs> <laughs> it's both scary and exciting at the same time so uh, tremendous amount, uh, amount of good feedback during this episode so thank you for that
0: so you're, you're in the critic kind of trying to kind of crawl out of his box yeah um, yeah. So um, uh, thanks very much to everyone who um, took some time to, to, to listen, to watch, um, to post some comments, responses, questions in mm. the chat channel um, and also to um, um, Gabe Medina, Simon Kemp, Lacey White, Adam Bruton and James Buller who um, took their time to, to actually press the button and, and, and call in yeah. um, and video chat with us mm. during the phone in.
1: So for people listening to this episode, you've just heard 30 minutes, but we'll provide a link to the full recording on blab.im in the show notes. And show notes and everything else, as you know, is available on uxpodcast.com. We are UX Podcast in pretty much every social media there is.
0: If you um, aren't already a subscriber, then remember to add us to your podcasting client. Hmm. And follow us on SoundCloud. (laughs) Or rate us somewhere. Yeah. Give give us a good review somewhere.
1: Yeah. Preferably uh, in a public space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. And stay curious. <coughs>